This is Recovery Revolution Live. The episode you're about to listen to is live and unedited. If you'd like to join us on the live stream, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube. Facebook.com slash Recovery Revolution 100 or search Recovery Revolution Live on YouTube. I am so Welcome. glad that you that you noticed the and sometimes Jr. That's new and I <laughs> I think it's pretty funny. It is hilarious. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to be here. I feel like it's been forever since we've been live. Like the last two weeks, we had things happen and didn't have shows, and I think I missed the one before that. It's been like a month since I've been on here, so I'm excited to be here tonight. Welcome back, buddy. Thanks. Yeah. Maybe I need to add me to the and sometimes column. <laughs> Feels like All it. Of us. Right? It is just, what it is, man. You never you never know who you're gonna get when you when you tune in. <laughs> Always no. a surprise. I try to be here every week, but yeah. I would have missed the last two weeks that didn't end up happening. So technically that means I didn't miss. It's true. Hey. You're here. And you're here. That's all that oh, yeah. matters. Oh yeah. so i've read a lot about this podcast and i'm delighted to be part of it today we are so so glad to have you on i love it the purpose is so important to be able to reach so many people at once and to speak the message of recovery and that it's possible we had the pleasure of meeting uh dr danielle delaney on Zoom, what, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Mm-hmm, about three weeks. Yeah, it, it was like one of the best Zoom meetings ever. Oh, I had a really good time with that Zoom meeting, too. In the last three months, so it's high praise. Why, Love what you. you do. Excited thank to have you. you come visit us down here in, in beautiful Costa Rica. Can't wait. July, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and I was, reading awesome. through, I was reading through some of your, your accolades and some of the things that you sent me as your as your bio and i'm quite impressed crisis intervention counselor specialist in addiction and recovery aftercare rape crisis counselor spiritual counselor sober coach i mean i feel like the list just goes on and on like i can't i can't get the whole short bio just on one single page on my phone without scrolling then you have your book your podcast like there's so many things on here and then when right before we started jared was like you do the intro i was like i am not prepared there's so much on here (laughs) Well, I mean, if you have that, then you can just read it so you are prepared. Well, I'm semi. There you go. (laughs) Well, I feel like I'm not the best reader, especially when I feel like I'm under pressure. So I I just kind of like skim. Whatever works for you is going to work. I think you did a good job. I think you did (laughs) an excellent job. I think you did an excellent job. You rocked it, buddy. You rocked it. Thank you. It was so good. Very good. Well done. Well, yeah. Welcome, Danielle. That's awesome. Thank you. Like I was, t- I was telling Danielle before we went live, you guys. I was like, "Wow, what a warm welcome!" As soon as I got on the call, she's just that smile, and you just got like oh, you're thanks. glowing through the screen. So I can imagine thank the you. energy in person is probably. Yeah, I know. I kind of felt like she was interviewing us a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's because she's so intimidating. So we all just got no, stage not fright. at all. I am the most particular person. Don't be intimidated in the least. Not I'm in not, the least. I'm just playing. 
She's mm -hmm. just good at the motivational interviewing, so it's a part <laughs> of her everyday life. Yeah, I, I try. <laughs> so ask me anything. I'm here to tell you whatever you need to know and hopefully impart some interesting uh, thoughts and theories to your watchers and listeners and to whoever's out there. So well, welcome to there for here. starters, why don't you tell us like a little bit about your, you know, background growing up or, you know, and, and why and how this uh, field became okay. a passion for you? Good question, Jason. And I'm glad you asked because I'm born and raised here in California in Los Angeles, which is actually unusual to be a native Angelino. We get a lot of imports in LA and people who want to be here. And when you're from here, it's a very different thing. So I'm born and raised here, glad to be, but I love seeing other places in the world, such as Costa Rica. And um, I began my career when I was assaulted in 2005. So um, I started off with a rape crisis and rape trauma. Mm -hmm. And that was because I didn't feel like the therapy was being done effectively when I was going to group support, support groups and to group to feel supported and everything that I was doing, going to help with the rape kits, working with the sexual assault response team. I got into schooling for it because I really felt like I could do it better. And then as I was working, doing my internship and recognizing that as I did the rape and suicide hotlines, people on the other end were all intoxicated and everybody was self-medicating because they'd gone through a horrible trauma. And that was a light bulb over my head that made me realize I needed to go back to school, not just for rape, rape crisis and rape trauma, but to also work with, um, with uh, people who are dealing with addiction. So once I studied addiction, that was it. And uh, you can call me anything. You can call me Danielle. You can call me Dr. Delaney. Anything that's positive, I don't mind being called. So uh, <laughs> thank you. No that's one to make sure we didn't ask. You're welcome. But uh, that's how I began in this field. And um, I knew some people who worked at a couple of the places here on the Rehab Riviera, as we call it, in Malibu, California, where there are 60 plus rehabs and sober livings. And I knew someone that worked at one of the most prominent ones. And uh, she referred a client to me and I started working with him and doing you know, aftercare counseling for him. And he was an elderly gentleman and he just felt like I really cared about him. I would come to his home and work with him. And uh, he wrote a letter to that facility saying, you know, she really helps me. Maybe she can help a lot more of your aftercare clients. So they called me in to meet with their aftercare department and the rest is history. Here it is awesome. about 13 years later. And uh, I loved putting together tailored aftercare programs for each person, whatever works for them. And it doesn't have to be 12 step if that's not their thing. Right. You can also do smart recovery, just so many different ways to work on your recovery after your inpatient treatment, because everything's great in the bubble. And then when you get out and you're back to your people, places and things, that's where the problems start. And that's why I started. I also founded my sober companioning company because I love to send people home from treatment facilities with a sober companion to give them a fighting chance. And when they don't do it, they often do it the next time after they visited that same facility and realize, mm. oh, this is why they suggested that. Yeah. So, so that's what I do. I have a private practice here in Hollywood, California, and uh, clients come to me and I meet with them on the phone or on online like this or, or FaceTime. And I've done that for 15 years. And then Sober Companions, I've been sending out for 12 years. And it's just been wonderful having my business because it's helping people on their worst, on their worst day. 
Well, I love it, man. Pain to purpose, you know. Thank you. And and then Thank and you. then you know, I think there's so much truth to that. You know, the whole idea of the sober companions that long term care is is essential. Yes. You know, yeah. Once we yeah. leave the structured environment, that's when the rubber right. meets the road. You know, and yes, uh, you gotta you gotta have a firm foundation. You gotta have those building blocks in place so that things don't topple over you know um, mm -hmm. so that's that's huge to have support and it's a you know we no matter what pathway you choose i think it's like we recover better together than, yes then you know no man's an island so good i agree good it really takes a village to work on your sobriety and to have that support system and when you need someone there with you we can call them a wellness concierge sometimes when people don't like the terminology of sober <laughs> companion. So whichever works, I, I provide wellness concierges and sober companions. And while they're there, I'm supervising the situation and I help them navigate whatever's going on. And I have a program called Plan D, which is for people who really need to do more of their recovery at home. Because in LA, you know, it's an entertainment town and we do get a lot of people who don't have anonymity and they really can't can't feel anonymous when they go to share their problems or they can't go to inpatient treatment. And that's one reason I really want to work with Costa Rica recovery is because the, the cost in Malibu is exorbitant. And I feel like they could better spend that money on their continuing care and their aftercare with me. And I feel like just doing the, having detox and some support and getting stabilized somewhere that it costs less, but has a great clinical team is exactly what they should do. And then they can actually spend that on their aftercare and continuing care. It's just going to be much more um, sustainable, I think. Yeah. It's plan D actually, hi Stevie. It's plan D as in Dr. Danielle Delaney with those three Ds. So it's plan D and you can connect plan D, absolutely. Yeah, we can talk about that. And I think that it's this, the thing about being in Costa Rica is, and we've talked about this, me and JR is there's a lot of professionals that can't go in the United States and still have their license, but they want treatment. And True. so they either continue to practice impaired or be able to go to another country where it's not, you know, they can pay cash and get treatment mm -hmm. and, and come back and be safe. And then linking with you and having a sober companion or a wellness coach to, to keep going that, I mean, that gives people the opportunity to still do what they love to do without exactly. Exactly. Right. I agree. Good, good, uh, good call, Ashley. I completely agree with that. I hate that when like someone comes, nurses and doctors, and they're like, you know, I know that it's, I'm going to kill somebody. Like I'm not safe, but I went to school all this time. And if I, yeah. if I go to treatment, then my career is gone. And it's like, that shouldn't Absolutely. be the option. You shouldn't be that way. Help yourself without, before it happens, let's, Let's help you. And hi, Alex. I see people popping up on screen now here. I'm new to this Facebook Live thing. So if I'm doing anything weird, if you're not supposed to say hello, I don't know. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's the I'm whole used to point. I'm doing podcasts and Zooms, but I'm not quite used to this, but it's fun. I love it. No, it's so hello, Alex. <laughs> we even have a call-in line. Like So later, if we want, we could open up the call-in line and people can actually call and, oh, and, talk, cool. to, and talk to you or ask or share their experience or whatever, you know? I love that. 
Yeah, me too. That sounds great. Interactive yeah, I, response. I absolutely agree with your uh, assessment that when people go get the treatment, they're in that bubble. They're in that, that protective mm-hmm. bubble. They don't think about what happens when you get out of that bubble. That's when real right. life hits you and the people, places and things that right. all comes in. If you're not prepared for it, it's going to it's going to slap you in the face. Exactly. And I have a lot of companions and wellness concierges. So I like to make the perfect fit. I always explain it's kind of like, I mean, I, I, it's, I'm dating myself by my age here, but it's like being Heidi Fleiss but for addiction and you want to get the right fit. <laughs> so you want that to work. You want the two people to connect and to obviously not in that way, but to connect on it on a, a level where they understand each other and feel comfortable together because if it's not the right fit, it doesn't work. And I haven't had right. that happen over, over more than a decade. It's really just making sure that you speak enough with the person, with the patient to make sure you know what their interests are, what their personality is like. So you put someone with them that can really vibe and work work with them. And if they like to hike, great. Someone who likes to hike. If they like to play tennis or cook, whatever. And if not, they can learn to do that. But it's really teaching people to live without substances and being able to be clear and face their life and live life on life's terms. And it's so beautiful to really see that result. And especially when it's in people's homes and all over the world. You know, I have right. clients from Tel Aviv to Milan and I used to go to clients and then I, my private practice got so busy that I realized I'm best in Los Angeles and my parents are here and they're in their 80s. Fortunately, I have parents in their late 80s. So I wanted to be here. So I started to hire really good people that are well-trained as either nurses or sober companions or therapists and counselors and sober coaches. So it's so many different people with different backgrounds that you're going to get one who's the right fit. And as long as I assess it and put them together properly, which I hope that I am doing, then uh, it's, it's win-win for the client. And I really feel like it's such a, um, it can be looked at as a crutch, but when you're getting sober, you need all the crutches you need, whether it's meetings, whether it's companions, whether it's weekly support, whether it's every other day that you need to speak to a sober coach, whatever it is, do it, you know, use that, use what's being handed to you as a support. So I'm happy to be part of that. I like being a piece of that puzzle. I think another thing that we don't think about enough is, and you spoke about it when you first started talking is trauma. And, you know, when you're in that bubble, you might start addressing it. I know when I went to treatment, um, we had trauma group, but it's, you don't really unpack it. And if you're in a 30 day treatment, like that's not enough time You're And then you're not right. This is where you get triggered. So you really have to continue to do that work. And so it's important. Right. It's so important, Ashley, because if they don't, you know where that leads. It's a recipe for relapse. It's just not going to work if you don't address what the what's really causing the behavior. So you can't just put a Band-Aid on it. You have to really go deep. And sometimes they do that in treatment and sometimes they don't. But you know where that's more likely to happen at home with someone that you've learned to trust. And when you're doing your, your if you have a sober coach or counselor, counselor such as myself, and it, it helps so much. And they've often told me a lot because I also am an interventionist. So sometimes I've done the intervention and placed them in treatment. And then it's wraparound care when I do their continuing care after care and, nice. and place a sober companion with them. So I'm really case managing the whole situation from the beginning, from jump. And they've often told me their story during the intervention when their family's present or loved ones are present and they've talked about their trauma or they've at least touched upon it 
but in treatment, they don't always go there. You know, they're, they're focused on that they're detoxing and they're focused on so many other things. And sometimes there's so many activities. They don't always delve into their trauma and they don't always get the therapist that they want either in treatment. You know, it may not be exactly the right fit. So it's more likely that that person who did the intervention, myself or one of my team, and then one of the wellness concierge slash sober companions in their home, that's when things are going to trigger them and things are going to come up with their loved ones, their family, their work, you know, what have you, but all the things that landed them in treatment. And uh, it's just so priceless to have someone right there that they can talk to. So I really, I love that part of my work. I love interventions though, too. And I love private practice one-on-one too. I love all of it. I really do. I'm lucky. I think we forget a lot of times that you know, yeah, it progresses into a dependence on the substance. And, mm-hmm. and, but before before that, it was a, a coping mechanism. And that was, so there's people, I've heard stories about people that started drinking, say, when they were 12. And they didn't go to treatment until they were in their 30s or 40s. So think about that was their coping skill, how they yes. dealt with their feelings for all this time. So 30 days is not enough. I know they say takes 30 yeah. days to make a habit, but these are like deeply ingrained neurological pathways in your brain that 30 right. days, like you have to develop other coping skills and practice them and then yes. see what's working. And, and it can take years. It, you right. Know? It's like you're yeah. trying to rewire your brain to function without substances. And if that was always your go-to, it's it's hard to switch horses midstream in your life and and realize that you can live better without the substances. But having support, having someone you can bounce things off of and talk to, whether it's the sober companion or whether it's me being the crisis counselor that they work with in aftercare, it's it's invaluable because those are the things that are going to come up. And I also wanted to mention uh, my thought just went straight out of my head. It's, it'll come back. It'll come back. It does that. It somewhere. will. It will. Uh-huh. I'm at that age. It just sort of goes and then it sort of comes back. I feel it happens when you're alive. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I it know. It to all it, of us, but it just left. So it'll come back and then I'll, I'll, I'll pick up where I left off. Oh, I know what it was. I know what it was. Okay. You got it. Um, Ashley, to speak to what you were saying about, you know, people who've learned to cope using substances and that they only have these 30 days. I recommend 90, no matter where they go. I, I don't think any real change happens in 30 days. So, um, 90 is is the ticket to me and then doing the continuing care after care with a sober companion or coach mm-hmm. and making sure you have therapy every week your continuing care after care counseling it's such an important piece of the puzzle and uh when you were speaking about that i thought immediately just the vision of a client i had in florida actually who was in her 70s and had been drinking since infancy almost she remembers being under the sink grabbing you know um like Listerine or different things, just trying to block out whatever horrors were happening to her. Something horrible must have been happening to her to need to self-medicate as a toddler, an infant to toddler. And that blew my mind. She'd been in that condition for most of her life, for all of her life. She'd had little stints of sobriety because she never wanted to go for 90 days. And the best thing that I could do was put a nurse in her home after she discharged from inpatient treatment. And it turned out a lot of her medications that these psychiatrists had given her were contraindicated, didn't go well together. Um, Her depression was an issue. And I think we 
all as practitioners know, as mental health care practitioners, that sometimes it can turn on you, whether you're taking benzos to for anxiety or whether you're taking antidepressants. Some things are not meant to be taken forever. And sometimes you're meant to feel your depression so you can get to the other side, um, not when it's clinical, but when it's situational. So I, I honestly feel like this is, is the the winning ticket, the winning puzzle piece that that when they have someone in their home, like that nurse, she, she's been sober for several years now after five months with that nurse in her home because wow. the nurse was also her friend and went to dinner with her and taught her how to drink mocktails and enjoy life and that you don't have to deaden yourself and to watch series and movies and things together in the evening. It took away the loneliness right. and it also took away that, that puzzle piece of just what do I do with myself? And, and she ended up really streamlining her medications and finding better therapists that I would look up for her. And that's what that plan D program is. It's when plan A didn't work, plan B didn't work. Plan C is whatever you try after those two don't work. Right. And plan D is when you're ready to do something different. And that's what the, that's the program she did of mine. And she didn't do three months, which is plan D. She did five and she's yeah. still sober. And here she is in her seventies now, finally living life on life's terms and enjoying feeling all of her feelings and the range of emotions that she's mm. been deadening since she was a baby. So it, yeah. it's those kinds of stories that are so just inspiring to me. And it makes me feel like this is why I do this because, right. you know, it can be abusive. It can be difficult. People are not at their best, but mm. it's so worth it to see that, that 180, that just complete turnaround and that change. It's, there's nothing like it. So it's right. almost an addiction in itself. I become addicted to seeing people improve their lives. But if you're going to switch seats on the Titanic, that's a good one to have. Hell you yeah. Watching people get better, right? Well, I always say addiction, that's not a bad thing because we can just learn how to channel that energy or that part of our personality into positive things. Mm. But, you know, I, I love the whole uh, aspect of the long-term care the holistic wellness approach because i mean really you're talking about first you got anhedonia you know you got to go through this long period where you don't yes. even experience any joy you know and then you have depending on the substance that you use it can take 18 to 24 months before yeah. your brain even starts to find homeostasis right, right. and then you you know you have all these other underlying issues like you were uh -huh. saying the core the core concept or you know like the causes and conditions and yeah. you know it is but a symptom our addiction is but a symptom and then and then if you have mental health diagnoses and things like that like if some you were talking about that lady multiple medications mm -hmm. and and then sorting all that out i mean this is like a long process i think it was two and a half years before I felt pretty steady, even keel yeah. good, but for, you know, the most part. And, mm -hmm. and then, you know, the shame and guilt. So the therapy needs to be, it's just, there's yeah. so much. And then there's and then, so many layers. Yeah. And then yeah. you got to live your life and life's yeah. going to get lifey and it's going to, it's going to throw you. things. I like that. Life is going to get lifey. It That's the best way I've ever heard that phrased because that's the <laughs> truth. There's, it's going to be things out of left field that are just thrown at you. 
And you're right. You, you know your stuff so well. It's the neuroplasticity. Your, your brain will come back, but it takes time. And you're not expected to be at your best, you know, right when right. you get back from treatment or while you're in treatment. And you don't want to have to feel forced to appear as though it's your, you're at your best. So it's, it's good to know that and to just know, you know, just lean into it, take your time. It will come back. And so often, and I appreciate you sharing your experience, Jason, because mine, it was a personal experience too, where I had a Xanax issue because of the rape crisis and trauma I went to. I was kidnapped yeah. and assaulted and thrown from a moving car by a group of men, a limousine at a red carpet event. You know, the, these things happen and people don't realize they happen. And that's what I wrote my book about. It tells the whole story of what happened wow. to me and how I healed from it. And the book is called Expect Delays how to reclaim your life light and soul after trauma because it, trauma will try to snuff out your life and your light right. and your soul and you have to be able to get fight to get that back and i had to fight but benzos were certainly not helping no. and benzos <laughs> are so often involved in like every poly substance overdose they leave that out they talk about the oxy they talk about the liquor they talk about all these other myriad of, of pills and substances but they often don't mention the benzos and those will turn on you they will calm down that anxiety and then it starts to cause it after a while yeah and if you even take one there's the kindling that happens in your brain and you're back hooked on them Dude. so that's a real hard one to kick but once you do you it can actually feel life again and that was what happened to me i mean it was given to me because i had every reason to feel anxious if you're held against your will and assaulted multiple times, you're not going to be at your best. You're going to have anxiety and look over your shoulder all the time. Yeah. I bought a two-seater because I was stopping at every red light and looking over my shoulder in my Jeep at the time. That It was, it was too big and it made me feel like somebody was there. That PTSD does a yeah. number on you. And rape trauma syndrome, which is RTS, rape trauma syndrome is different than PTSD, but it's similar. And it's right. cyclical and all of those things. They had every reason to throw a bunch of benzos at me. And I had every reason to think it was a good idea. But yeah, yeah. if you want those for years, and of course I was mixing them with, you know, other, other alcohol and substances because I couldn't get calmed down enough and I needed to calm down. But there are so many other spiritual and holistic modalities and ways to achieve that. And yes. I love being able to help teach people that because they don't know. They don't know. Right. And the doctors and Big Pharma are more than happy to keep you doped up oh, yeah. and yep. give you the pills. And, and the doctors are telling you, you need it. So, of course, you think, well, yeah, we'll give me more of those. Right. And, and, the, and the body's natural. Whole, yeah. Sorry. The body's natural reward systems actually last so much longer than any <laughs> chemical yeah. drug. Anything. Yeah. It's true. The, it's true. When you when you find those ways to get to trigger your body's natural mm -hmm. responses and the natural reward centers, they last so much longer, and it's so like, much better for you. Yeah, dude. I mean, and it, and it feels better because once once you don't take those meds. You, you recognize, for me, it was, well, maybe I'm supposed to feel my feelings. This was depressing. Shouldn't I be depressed that this happened to me? And yes, meditation and affirmation. Stevie, hello. People are mentioning things that are very helpful. Yeah, and yeah. I agree. Meditation and yoga and so many things can be so much more helpful. And group, you know, support, speaking about your issues instead of medicating them. And I had every reason to want to medicate myself into the, you know, into the next 
universe, wherever it is, I had every reason to want to do that with what I'd been through and to want to forget it. But it wasn't getting me anywhere where, you know, how does that change anything if you just keep self-medicating, self-medicating? And and when I recognized, like, I think I'm supposed to be depressed. It was the most uh, kind of like an epiphany that just made sense. You know, it was, I'm, I should be depressed. This was a very horrible thing that happened. I think I should be depressed. Maybe I don't take these pills to make me not depressed about it because mine was situational. You know, it was about what had happened to me and the flashbacks and the trauma and all of it. Yeah. And there was nothing that pills and alcohol weren't going to make worse, to be honest. And that's what started to happen. And I realized I couldn't, I couldn't live like that. So I had to change. And a lot of it was dealing with what actually happened and facing it head on instead of self-medicating and, you know, putting my head in the sand. Yeah. Well, you said it earlier. It's, you know, you can't just because you've, you know, there is a pill or whatever that can flip the switch. It can make it go away for now. And it works wonderfully. Right. At first. At first. Nobody ever tells you when they're like, here, try this. It'll make you feel better. They never tell you, like, if you do this, like, all the time, like, it's going to turn on you. And then it's going to get weird. And then it's going to probably become, like, absolute nightmare. Uh, You know, nobody warns you about that shit. They're just like, yeah, try this. It's going to feel like This will help. And then there's all the side effects. You know, I would look up these things and go, what? (laughs) You know, why are you trying to give me an antipsychotic? Well, right. you said you needed to sleep. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not, that's not what that's I need. Not I don't want to have twitches and cardiac dyskinesia for the rest of my life. And they're like, oh, that might not happen. And I'm like, well, you're not the one who's going to have to live with it if it does. So, you know, fortunately, I really felt like I could do something differently. And it led me to go to school to do um, crisis intervention for sexual assaults. So that's going to the police station with the victim, going to court with the victim or survivor. You can call it whatever you want, but you're victimized when it happens and then you're a survivor. But uh, it was a matter of really feeling good about doing that. That is, you can't be drinking and you can't be taking pills and sleeping in if you work in crisis intervention. They actually tell you in school at the Sexual Assault Crisis Academy, they say, if you have a car that breaks down, you'd better have a bicycle in your trunk because that you just can't graduate. They're not going to allow it if you can't be present when you need to be present in a crisis. So people don't pass that can't show up. And it's made me someone who absolutely shows up for everything because that kind of training, you know, there's just no excuses. You can't flake out on people that need you. And um, it's, it's their survival. And that training made it so clear that there's nothing that a drink or a pill won't make worse. And you're also dealing with people's very deep trauma, that sexual trauma, working with adult molested as children, men and women who are raped, whether it's, uh, you know, it happens in all circumstances. It can be nightclubs and bars and drinking, or it can be kidnapped, like my situation was, um, or it can be anything. It could be someone they know, or, and a lot of men don't report. I have a lot of male rape crisis clients and they don't report because there's so much shame and misunderstanding yeah. and, it's really a dark place. So I loved doing that training, but it was very hard because you can't be sick. You can't not feel well. You can't miss a day and make it up later. It's crisis intervention. And I'm glad that I began with that because it is crisis intervention, whether you're doing an intervention or whether you're working one-on-one with your private 
practice patients. You have to be present. And, um, and I just love teaching people how not to be checked out of their own life and to experience it and live it, even the painful things and feel your feelings and yeah. not medicate it. So it's an important place to, to be, to recognize that you don't want to medicate yourself anymore. So I hope somebody watching or listening today that it changes for them. And I, I don't know what the recovery revolution website is, but mine is Danielle Delaney counseling. And that's um, Danielle Delaney counseling.com. It's right there on the screen. Mm -hmm. And the book is my book that I wrote is expect delays. Let me put it in the frame here. Expect delays. Um, and it's available at expectdelaysbook.com or on Amazon. And so, uh, and I named it that because on the freeways in Los Angeles, you see exactly this sign all the time where it says expect delays <laughs> in bright lights. And it's when you're already stuck in the delay, which is so much like life, you know, expect <laughs> delays. And yeah, I no would shit. also accept them. no <laughs> shit, right? And, and accept them as divine delays. It's, it's, things happen and things are going the way they're going. And then you're stuck in this delay. And I try to look at it as a divine delay that for whatever reason, I don't know why I'm not where I meant to be or something has slowed down, slowed my role. And, um, and it's sort of accepting it and rolling with it and taking it in and, um, and learning from it. And I think that's what counseling is all about is helping people to learn from their, their errors and also to take their time to learn yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I think it's just, it's really reflected in your care model because you, you realize there's delays and you, you see the importance of showing up because you know what, when you're, when you're there from the intervention through the aftercare and beyond mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for these people, you could very well be restoring their faith in humanity. I know when I was out there mm -hmm. running and gunning, I didn't think anybody stuck around i thought they all leave in the end no matter how wonderful you yeah. think that relationship is i didn't i had such abandonment issues and so it, that caused major trust issues and mm -hmm. and i'll tell you right now the fact that you've embraced that it just it, that message reverberates through everything that you're describing you know and it's it is such a key component to to let people know right. that like, I'm never going to turn my back. Right. No matter how ugly it gets, yeah. you know, cause I always tell people, I'm like, if it's hard, if it's ugly, if it's messy, then it's probably a good indicator. <laughs> probably that you're doing, working. You're doing yeah. something right. Yeah. You know, recovery ain't for pussies. You it's know not I mean? pretty. It's not pretty. And there's a lot of back and forth and, and confusion and difficulties, but I, yeah. it's so worth it. There's just nothing better than, I remember waking up and not wanting to be me. I remember that feeling so vividly of waking up with like, oh, you've got the blankets and you're like, we've got to be me again today. You don't even want to peel those blankets off and get out. Better to just take another benzo and maybe have a drink because then that'll just deaden me and I can go back to sleep. Right. And I would do that. And there's, remembering it so well is such a good thing. Because I don't like people to glorify their party days, their drinking days, their using days, what have you. But it's good to be able to be reflective and look at it, which I think meetings are great, whichever kinds of meetings, as well as therapy, because you have to be able to revisit it, to remember. I, I want people to remember and sit with how bad that was 
because it's night and day to wake up and be so excited that I get to be me again and yeah. that I get to work with this population and that I get to help people recover. And I help people recover from multiple things. I, my, all of my work is an addiction. Like I said, oh. it's it's not all addiction. It's adults molested as children. It's rape trauma, rape crisis, life stage transitions, couples counseling, individual therapy for so many other things and LGBTQ plus issues, all mm -hmm. sorts of different things. and every day is is different and i'm so happy to have a life where everything is different every day i'm never bored and even when it's difficult even if a client is angry and abusive and not physically or anything you know just just pissed off at the world it's not always easy but like you said jason that recovery is messy it is not easy and it's being being the person that gets to sit with them through it is a privilege to be there on their darkest days and their darkest time to help them work through it and to be able to show them as many of you have step by step because it's the path you took and i love to help people find that path to reclaim their life there's just nothing quite like it and there's nothing like seeing it and years later, seeing that result, I have one I've had in therapy in and out. He's danced in and out of therapy for 10 years. And I don't have children and he's 28, but I started with him when he was 18. I work with 17 and up and, um, oh, wow. and he was a rodeo cowboy. He had a heroin problem and now he's getting married and has a beautiful house and a beautiful life and a beautiful future. And I, I tear up when I talk about it because it's like one of my kids. I watched him graduate from, from, from Columbia. I watched him do so many things in his life that when I met him, he thought he would never do. Oh, and yeah. those stories <laughs> are so important because it's, it's valuable because it's the truth. And it's valuable because everybody can do that. It's just a matter of one foot in front of the other, taking the step day by day to get to that end result of having a life that you don't want to escape from. And yes. been there, and it's so amazing not to want to escape your life, and instead to wake up excited to live your life, and to get Absolutely. to be you again. It's wonderful, and I promise anyone watching that they can get there if they do the work. So I have a question. I've kind of please. been holding it in for like the last fifteen minutes, waiting for a pause so I didn't interrupt anybody. <laughs> no, please ask. On and off like a bunch of times, but um, so. And this isn't to take away anything from the trauma or the experience that you've gone through. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's just the question is, do you believe that your life without that experience would have been the same today or because you had to overcome and, and find new purpose and meaning? And do you think your life today is better because of the work you had to do, not because of the experience? Obviously, Right, right. I, that's such a good question, Ashley, and I'm really glad you asked it because I do write about that in my book. I write about the forgiveness fallacy. There's a lot of gurus and talk show hosts and people out there that say, you have to forgive and you know all of this, and I won't attach my healing to them, to what they did to me. I just won't. So I don't connect it in that way. And I also don't look at it as I can, I can never be one of those people. So I appreciate the way you phrased it. I'm never going to be one of those people that says, I'm so grateful it happened because it brought me to where I am today. Like, no, I could have gotten there another way. And I believe I would have. But what I can say is having the challenges I had, having these divine delays dealt to me, however that happened and what happened to me and having to overcome it has definitely given me um, a resilience where I know I can handle anything life throws at me. And it's also given me an understanding of what other people who've gone through trauma have are, are dealing with, because 
you can study it all you want and be, have book training. I had my psych degree from UCLA, my undergrad. I had all of that, but I still never had the experiences. I had a pretty charmed life up until when that happened, which was 15 years ago. And I, I really wouldn't have understood the way that I do understand unless it were based in my own experience. So that, I hope I answered your question. You did. And I'm going to follow up with <laughs> follow up on that is, is that, so you have these experiences and, and it gives you the purpose and want to help somebody else mm -hmm. and, you know, travel the road next to them as they heal. Right. How do you protect yourself from their vicarious trauma, re-triggering some of your past trauma? Mm -hmm. Another really good question. My parents were really worried when I started doing the Sexual Assault Crisis Academy training to work with victims of violent crime and special victims, because first of all, I was watching Law and Order Special Victims Unit around the clock, and many, many survivors of, of, uh, of sexual violence do, because then you feel less alone, and you feel like Vincent and Stabler might come help you, and that's not how it goes. It doesn't work that way, but, um, but going through it honestly led me to... Um, to really seeing how it could be handled differently, how you could help people in a different way. Tell, ask me again what you were, what your point was there, so I can make a clear point because I kind of traveled in my brain. No, you're fine. Just how do you protect yourself from? Oh, that was the question. Happen. Of course, I don't know how that left. Um, I protect myself mostly by recognizing that it's not my problem. I've dealt with my problem. It's not my scenario. It's not my situation. And my training allows me to distance myself in a way. My training as a crisis counselor to be calm in crisis and to just be present. But it's also a matter of not taking it on as a personal challenge that I have to overcome. It's not, this isn't my case when I'm working on someone's case and helping them with their trauma. So I get it, you know, that, that one might think it would get very heavy, but I still honestly, even when I would go and hold victims' hands during the rape kit in the hospital, I still, which what my parents were worried about was that I'd come home traumatized because I'd hear these horror stories and the police are there, but they can't, they're not always able to give the time and energy to take it in as well as an advocate for the client, for the patient can. And they were very concerned. My parents were very concerned that this would re-traumatize re and trigger me. And I'd tell them, no, we didn't catch mine, but maybe we can get this one. So for me, it felt like maybe there's a chance that I can actually be helpful in this area. And for me, that's just like, a, it's another win since I couldn't get mine, couldn't get my attackers, but maybe we can get his or hers. And I, I can work with the family. Exactly. Hi, JR. I can work with the family as well because they don't understand what's <laughs> happened to their loved one and what's going on. And I encourage them to go to court. If, the, if there is a court case, it's very rare that that actually happens, but, um, but I can I can coach them on that because I became licensed as a court advocate as well for special victims. And that meant you had to sit through a molestation trial, a rape trial. And I can't remember what the other one was, but you have to sit through some domestic violence. So you have to sit through some pretty horrible things in order to get good at being an advocate for for your person that you're there to advocate for and be next to during court. And I haven't done that for a while because I'm too busy with all the other work I'm doing. But doing that was meaningful in that. I, I felt like you're there for them on their worst day. Like there's just nothing re-triggering or, or triggering or re-traumatizing about that because it's such a separate case from mine. And because I wish that I had a, an advocate like that when it happened to me. You know, I had family and friends who came to the hospital, but it wasn't the same as someone being with you during the rape kit who's lived it, experienced it, and is going to make sure that some things don't get missed. And so it's, it's, 
rewarding. I, I yeah. don't feel like it's uh, traumatizing or triggering because, and that's what I told my family. I'd say, you know, I was there with the police and they said she took a shower and that she threw away whatever she had on and then came to the hospital. Like then somebody urged her to come to the hospital. So they thought we won't get any kind of, um, any kind of DNA. And the nurse is there, the forensic nurse, who's very trained in doing this, but does this hundreds of times a day or a week, I should say, but it's, it's, it's so common that they're not, they're not going to have the fresh beginner's eyes. And I had beginner's eyes because I was new to it. And I remember that they say that saliva has more DNA than semen. So I said, swab her neck because she said he was kissing her neck. And, you know, it, it was a horrible situation for this young woman, but we, they've said, okay. So they swabbed her neck and she, that wasn't exactly where she was washing and showering the most after her horrible experience. So right. it was still there. We caught that guy. They got him because awesome. of the DNA on her neck. And if I hadn't been in that room to listen to her and to focus on her, which the police honestly cannot do as well, and they're doing their job, but that's not as big of a part of it. They can't. They have so many of these. It's every few minutes. Mm. The statistics are every few minutes there's an, a rape and assault. And it's probably more than that because that's only what's reported. So... It's great to be there to help them. And that's my uh, cue. I got to go, you guys. Hey, JR, just so you know, you know you're in the show, right? You can verbally ask a question. (laughs) 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 But, hey, uh, Dr. Danielle, you are such a blessing. And I really have enjoyed this conversation. I hate that I have to leave, but you know how it is. We got to support each other. And my brother's getting uh, his big graduation from all his continuing care tonight. So his counselor, yeah, Yeah. his counselor invited me for you guys watching. You don't know. uh, She in secret invited me to join in, uh, in a Google meets. He lives like four hours North of me. And I went and spoke at his treatment center a while back and she's, I was like, man, that's cool. This she must be. I was like, she's got to be a really good counselor because she just reached out to me like, would you be there? I think it would mean a lot to Eric. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I'm I'll sure. be there. She's she told you because it's going to be meaningful, and there, there'll be nothing like it when he sees your face and knows you're there for him. So it's going to be awesome. Go forth and do that because that's a great place for you to be. Everybody, take care of yourselves this week, and I love you, and I'll uh, see you next week. Nice to meet you, Jason. Thank yep. you. See you. I love you, Jason. See ya. so i hope that answers some of it ashley like yeah i I was worried about it too at first i really thought is this going to be like i'm walking right back into the belly of the beast to be sitting there where the rape kit's being done or you know dealing with that but no it really wasn't If, if it had been i wouldn't have gone further and then maybe somehow i would have segued into addiction and and recovery but um but that's that's where i started with it because everyone was self-medicating on the on the rape and, and suicide hotlines that I had to do for part of my internship and then doing doing the one-on-one showing up at hospitals for the victims with the police that actually was I mean I've always been one of those people that watches all those those <laughs> police shows and things so for me it was like this is so cool I'm working with them I'm part of it so that was exciting but then when you get to the to the the victim the survivor that you're sitting with it was oh, you know, I actually know what this is like. So it wasn't someone that did, couldn't identify with what they were going through since I've seen some of the worst of what that that situation can be. And it was great to be able to just encourage them and 
people become very suicidal. They can't believe what happened to them. They can't believe mm -hmm. that they are dealing with this. And then they do self-medicate. So that was the hardest part of that work for me, Ashley, was that I couldn't be in touch with them afterwards. Like that was forbidden by the training, by the Sexual Assault Crisis Academy. You couldn't then like follow up and talk to them. And that was made me really clear on it that I wanted to be someone who does wraparound care kind of counseling where you start with the crisis and continue to be in their life because otherwise they're what my social worker uncle calls the people that live inside your head. And they become these people that I think of all the all of a sudden that I think, whatever happened to that woman? Whatever happened to that girl? Whatever happened to that man? And I love that I get to have contact with my patients because they're my patients, that I can continue to work with them and ask them questions and try to help them, you know, create a life that they don't need to escape from. My brother, before he his first special assignment kind of thing was, um, sex crimes and then he, uh -huh. now he's a homicide detective and he's like i like this so much better because yeah. he's like i don't have to see you know the yeah. pain it's living I mean, death for people to survive yeah so it's like he said this it's a, you would think that it would be harder to see yeah. homicides but he said no not nearly as hard and i said it's there's a lot of young victims and that's really really hard that's really hard that's why i work with 17 and up i can't honestly I, I work with AMAC, Adults Molested as Children, AMAC is one of my specialties. And I, I can't work with children. I would I would want to kill somebody, to be honest, and I can't go to jail. So I can't do that. But it's it's so horrific to deal with children and sex crimes. It's really hard with adults as well. But like I said, it's you know being there on their worst day to make it better, to give them a little bit of a softer landing, and to try to watch and monitor and help them so that they're not self-medicating to get through it. And so that they have someone that I can say, you know, I'm living proof that you can get through this. I went through one of the worst stories I'd ever heard. I can't even believe it's my story. And after all these years that I've given speeches everywhere and talked about it so much, I can speak about it so easily, but it was horrific. And I didn't think I'd survive that. And I'm lucky I did. And I'm lucky that I have, well, I don't know how much of it's luck. It was a lot of work too, but I'm very fortunate and blessed to be able to still be here. And I feel like if I didn't help people through their trauma, whether it's sexual trauma or other trauma, then why did this happen to me? And that's where the existential question came in for me. And that's where I began to study spirituality. And my doctorate is actually in theology and divinity. I have two and they're in those subjects because the existential question of why am I here and why did this happen to me is what most survivors of violent crime go through. And um, it's just like you said with your brother that he says it's easier to deal with dead victims and homicides and work that case because when you have living victims, I felt like I was dead. You know, I felt like the part of me that was me, that was vibrant and happy and, and enjoyed life and looked forward to what was next was killed, was murdered. And I'm not wrong. She's gone. It was, but it's, it's finding a new space in your life for this new person to be born that went through that experience and is going to be better for it and stronger for it and help others for it. And an addiction just is hand in hand with any trauma, including sexual trauma. So it just makes me feel like it gave me a renewed sense of purpose. And, uh, but it is a living death. It truly is a living death. So I can imagine homicide might be easier in some ways. Yeah. Well, and I know we're getting to the the one hour mark. And so <laughs> I know we want to wrap it up. So I have 
you know, I want to ask you if there's somebody that's sure. listening and they're either someone that works with people that, you know, they have to revisit their trauma. What would mm-hmm. you suggest they do, you know, as protection? I know I've heard a lot of things and, and most of them don't trigger my stuff because mm-hmm. like, uh-huh. you almost get numb, but you're, you still can feel it. Um, there's been one that's hit me pretty bad. And, and, you know, I had to call it. You can't call like a typical therapist. It's a, you need mm-hmm. someone that specializes in trauma and crisis. Yeah. So, um, you know, if, if somebody's going through that, like a peer that hears it all the time, what would you recommend that they do? And then also if someone mm-hmm. is struggling that has not reported something, what would you recommend for them? Um, for them, first of all, for the person that's struggling, I'll start with, I say, do what feels right to you. You're not required to report. It doesn't make you a better or a worse person. And it is difficult to go through the process and the system. It's different in every state, but in the United States where I am, it's very, very tough. And it's not like it is on TV. So I understand when people don't report, but I also feel let's get these people off the street or let's get this person out of the school or out of the sport or wherever this assault happened, let's get that person out of there so they can't hurt anyone else. But your responsibility is to yourself first. So you don't have to worry about protecting everybody else. Uh, Report if you can. And if you can't, there's no judgment about that. And then um, as far as what you were saying, Ashley, about yourself or any other clinician, practitioner, counselor, healer that takes it in, it's it's a learned thing to not take it in. And I used to do massage therapy like 30 years ago in my 20s. And I remember them teaching us as you work on someone doing body work and healing work, you also can take on their problems. They may talk to you or you can just pick it up and you want to picture it going down the drain when you shower or when you wash your hands after you would do body work treatment. And I think it's it's similar. It's it's being able to to tell yourself, this isn't my story. This isn't my story. I'm here to help. I'm here to assist, but this isn't my story. And although it can impact me, I'm here to help this person. And then when you're away from it, honestly, don't sit around and watch Special Victims Unit like I do. Like you don't need to to steep yourself in um, in 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 the same kind of material that you're dealing with with work. And it can you can need a break. You can get compassion fatigue. And I think it's important for clinicians and practitioners to to recognize when that's happening and to take a step back when that's going on. And it's it's very easy for that to happen. I've been there. But I've also gotten really good at just recognizing that it's being present for their worst day and that it's a responsibility and that I can step away in my personal time. But I'm usually pretty eager to like get back in there and like find out how I can help them and what they're going through. But it's it can hit hard. So I understand. I'm sorry that happened because it's tough when, like, when you go through that. Not easy. Yeah. It's just one of those that was a parent and about, you know, kids. So that's those are the hard ones for me. Those are hard when it's kids. And also sometimes some things just hit you, you know, where you weren't expecting it. Some stories are just so horrific and it hits you and it's just going to take some time. It's going to take some time. And I think that's when, you know, those of us that are in recovery, we've got to use every tool we've got for ourselves too, including taking a step back when you need to, taking some time Absolutely. off, taking a step away. You have to. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, JR went to Costa Rica to take a step back away. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm struggling in the jungle. That's, that's a beautiful struggle. Be around those beautiful <laughs> yes, birds yes. and monkeys yes. and creatures. 
It's a better it struggle is. than the study struggle of uh, the freeway with the expect delays sign that made me write yeah. a book titled that. But yeah, uh, yeah. It, and it's a spiritual, beautiful place to be. I love Costa Rica. It's I find such the people a wonderful. Country. Yeah, it's yeah. gorgeous. And it's just the energy there is a healing energy and a positive energy. Pura Vida. It's just so beautiful. I love yeah. it. No substitute. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty absolutely. great. Yeah. We we enjoyed having you on the show. I mean, I love listening to you talk. You, you, you're amazing. Oh, thank you. You are too. Your story amazes me. I'm, I've been reading your book. I'm almost done. I've got the Addiction Manifesto right here, JR. And I'm grateful that you sent it. And I've been looking at that. And so much <laughs> of it, so much of it resonates. We are kindred spirits. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you in July. When yeah, I'm there. looking forward to your visit. We are. I mean, we were talking can't about, wait. Alex and I were talking about it earlier. Like, we can't wait for you to come down. Could it be great? I'm really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to it. Try to get Brett and Ashley down here, but they're they're kind of resistant. They don't like to travel. It's so much faster from Texas. I, I think from Minnesota, you'd go to Florida and then fly, right? Would I'm, that be? I'm in Florida. Yeah. I, You're I, in I Florida. Straight shot from Houston okay. to here. Yeah, exactly. I have to always uh, do a, um, what do you call it, a layover in Dallas. Layover, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I need to get a passport. I keep saying I need one. Do that ASAP just because you never know in our country anyway. You need to have a valid passport. So yeah. get that ready. And, you yeah. know and I tell all my clients that too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And Ashley, as you go through difficult things and need to, to unplug, no better place to do it. And you can say hi to JR. <laughs> so yeah. Why not? Yeah, I might need to escape Florida if I continue this on the pathway. True. True. <laughs> True. Can be pretty oppressive in that way, but it's great to escape to the to the gorgeousness of Costa Rica. Even the city, San Jose is still beautiful. But I, know, I love San yeah. Jose. Yeah, I'm going out to uh, Manuel okay. Antonio this weekend for the A nice. convention. So that should be nice. nice. Oh, that'll be wonderful. Yeah, yeah actually, need to message wonderful. them that I'm coming. <laughs> My ride leaves early in the morning. <laughs> Let them know so that she'll yeah. So that they know. yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna find out what time they leave, or that's a long Uber. Yeah. <laughs> That's a real long over. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. It's honestly been my pleasure to be here and you've had such good questions. So I didn't need to prepare or anything. It's like, it's, it's actually the story of my life. And I just honestly, truly want people to understand that I am living proof. JR is living proof. I don't know your story, Brett. I would love to know more and Ashley as well, but we're living proof that recovery is possible. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing more important than shows like this where you actually get to hear people talk about their experience and they're okay now because yeah. you get to see what it's like on the other side. And it's really, really nice. It's really good. Like I said, to wake up and want to be in your life, there is no substitute for that. That is, and it was new to me and I've, I'm so familiar with what it feels like, the, the alternative, that uh, there's nothing like it and, and you can have that. So reach out for help, reach out for support. We're living proof that it's there and that you can live that way. It can be done. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. It's a perfect way to end. So yeah. welcome. Couldn't say anything better. Thank you guys for having me. I really enjoyed it today. Absolutely. Thanks so much. I'm sure you'll get a few more podcast requests because Brett has his own. Jason has his own. And I I'm have sure my own. Yeah. For years. Yeah. I'm not having it anymore, but anyone who wants to listen to it, it's the real deal with Danielle Delaney on 
pretty much every podcast platform. And there's a lot of different episodes about a lot of different topics from body image to, I, I interviewed a celebrity from Baywatch about body image and how she explains that to her kids, her daughters, um, different things. I even did breast implant disease and explants. I did um, different topics about addiction from alcohol to drugs and substance, poly substance overdoses. And I loved having my show because it was a lot of fun, but with the book and my work, it was a little much. And uh, now I just do other people's appearances, but my mind's available. If you want it, you can listen to any of the episodes. They're all there. And a bunch of them are on my website too. Yeah. We hope to have you on Sabrius. I'd love it. We say bread? I'm not sure. It's Latin. <laughs> Sabrius 23. <laughs> I'm not the one to ask. I'm the bad reader. <laughs> I hope I can. I hope I can. It all depends on what goes on with my family coming over. I have a brother that lives in Belgium. If he's in town, it's a little high maintenance. <laughs> I need to be present for that. But uh, but if he doesn't end up coming, then I'm, I'll have freedom to do that. So I'm always awesome. excited to awesome. do appearances. I love to do it. Cool. Well, let's yeah. do the uh, let's do the closing, shall we? Okay. Oh, I hit it. Go. We're doing it live, guys. It doesn't always work when I hit the trigger. It doesn't always play the music <laughs> when I when I want to. But thank you to everybody that tuned in tonight. If you guys are watching us on YouTube, please be sure to subscribe to the channel. Turn on your notifications so you know when we go live, which I'm going to start saying is most Thursday nights. I'm not going to say every Thursday night because we, we do have the occasional Thursday night that we miss. Um, Mr. Jason Rudine, who was on the show earlier but had to step out a little early, he uh, and his friend host a show called The Way Out Podcast. Shout out to Charlie and Jason. They've been doing it for quite a while. They're at over 300 episodes. I can't remember the exact number, but they have done quite a few episodes. They focus on addiction and recovery, so check that out. I also have my own show, Recovery Survey. Um, I released an episode on Wednesdays. Um, I've taken a little bit of a break. Um, you know, I hit like 150 episodes and I'm just, I'm, I'm taking a little bit of time off because I'm a, I'm a little, I don't want to say burned out, but you know, it, it's good to step away. You know, it's been about three years since I've taken a break from the show. So um, I'll be coming back to that hopefully here in the next couple of weeks, but um, stay tuned for that. LC, who could not be here with us tonight, also has a podcast, the Recovery Soul Food Podcast. Check that out. And we release the audio from this live stream as a podcast as well. So while you're on your podcast app of choice, subscribe into all these awesome shows. Search for Recovery Revolution Live as well. And like we mentioned earlier, Danielle has a show as well, The Real Deal. Check that out. Just tons of great content and all kinds of awesome recovery and addiction and overcoming and just all kinds of good stuff. So thank you guys for coming on tonight. Thank you for listening or watching the show. And we will be back next week for another episode of Recovery Revolution Live. Remember, guys, progress, not perfection. That's your line, JR. You're supposed to say nice. Come on, man. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see y'all next week. Recovery Revolution Podcast Network.